0: Good morning, Northbrook Church. Uh, This morning, we're going to be hearing from the words of Jesus about himself in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. So if you would, please turn with me there. Um, If you don't have a physical copy of God's word, we have a few in the back on the welcome table. That is our gift to you for you to keep. All right, so we'll be in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light this is the word of the lord amen well what a joy it is to be with you here um yeah before we get into uh these words from jesus uh, I want to say a couple things real quick. Um, again, so just to, i always like people to know what to expect. Sometimes in this moment before the sermon, I'll use what's called a pastoral greeting. And so it's when we want to talk about something or address something or just mention anything uh, that's not necessarily tied to uh, the sermon, but, you know, would be helpful to talk about. So a couple things. One is a, a thank you. And a uh, acknowledgement that so for some of you may not know, and it was kind of a quick turnaround, but we were able to serve a Ukrainian refugee family uh, that we were connected with. Uh, in Italy. We actually had someone from Northbrook, Radha, who was going to Italy. So she was able to physically bring a Jesus storybook Bible, uh, some other just kind of things we gave, along with we raised some funds just to help them. Uh, And so we were able to give them like $2,000 of Amazon gift cards, which is the same as $2,000. And uh, partly just because they're in Italy from Ukraine, it was the easiest. Amazon rules the world, and we leverage that in this situation. Um, but it's praise God that we were able to in a very real tangible way uh, serve this family. And so uh, the mom, this family is separated. Their, their dad stayed back in Ukraine and uh, the mom and three kids are in Italy and she sent uh, this as a thanks. Uh, she said, Dear Northbrook Church, my family and I thank you so much for the Amazon gift certificate. We all appreciate your generosity and Christian kindness. Olga, Elisabetta, Vlad, Alessandro, and I deeply appreciate your gift. During this time of missing my husband and father, knowing there are wonderful people like you in this world uplifts my family. Thank you again for everything. Please excuse my English, which was great, uh, in Christ's love. Uh, and so just wanted to share that with you. Praise God. We were able to serve this family and just be a small picture of who Jesus is, uh, to the refugee and those that are struggling. So, uh, uh, just love being a part of a church that cares about that. Um, and then secondly, obviously a momentous, uh, reality happened this week, uh, Roe versus Wade was overturned. Uh, and that's a, that's a really big deal. And this is really just an encouraging decision for the most vulnerable people in our country. That that helpless babies now have more of a chance at life uh, than they did. And, And as the church, we'll have more of an opportunity. Like as a church, we are often those that are willing to foster, those that are willing to adopt, those that are willing to care for single mothers. But now as a church, it'll become more incumbent upon us to foster, to adopt, to care for single mothers, that by God's grace, hopefully there's more babies that weren't gonna be born that'll actually now have a chance to life that will need much help. Uh, Just like right now, there's a lot of babies that need much help. Um, And so whatever we can do as a church to redouble our efforts, perhaps the Spirit's moving in and through you to help lead and uh, equip our church and our body in one of these ways where we can serve. So we celebrate the the reality of Roe versus Wade being overturned, uh, and we also realize uh, the great opportunity. Uh, We really should celebrate... uh, a hopeful step in any unjust law being made right. I think about even how we'll have many kids in here today and the, the, the sound of their voices well, is, a, is a great way to respond to this and even uh, to continue to celebrate uh, what has happened. And so uh, I want to I say this, though, real quick, because I just want to acknowledge this isn't a political statement. Um, it, it really isn't. Uh, if you've been around Northbrook for the last two years, you know we aren't political as a church or very political or super involved uh, in politics, but anything that happens in our country nowadays happens along political lines. Anything, anything that happens culturally happens along political, uh, political lines. Um, and there's just so few things now that we get unified as as a country. Like well, you know something that the whole country is behind is almost something that just doesn't exist anymore. Uh, so, but I, so I realize when I talk about biblical things like caring for the refugee, uh, like racial justice, uh, or like the unborn, I realize we, we hear those things often uh, politically, but we have to always say what the Bible says. So whatever, politics is always going to change. Culture is always going to change. The word of the Lord stands forever. So when it says something clearly, like we should value all life and all life is made in the image of God, it's not like a curious or like, oh, I wonder what the Bible says about that. It's very clear we also should say and celebrate uh, those same things. And so that, this is a, a biblical uh, desire, celebration, reality, uh, and not a political one, from where I stand at least. Um, the reality is whenever we see wrongs being made right, we should celebrate. Just like Christians should have celebrated the end of slavery. Just like Christians should have celebrated the end of segregation, we should also celebrate um, when the vulnerable in our society are protected and uplifted um, and cared for. And, and that is what's happened. And so I do want to say this, if this is just like, because I realize saying things like that, uh, especially if you are you know, really involved politically, which I'm not saying you shouldn't be, um, I realize that can give like a charged response. And it can be like a, you can get charged up uh, politically, emotionally. And I would just encourage you um, one of the things that's so helpful is actually having a conversation with a real person. Um, so if you, surely some of you have just been like, I can't go to social media over the last couple days because it is just on fire. Um, like it, the, social media may burn down uh, because of all of this. Um, and, uh, but how much more helpful it can be to have a conversation with an actual person um, when you feel stirred up in any of those ways. Um, I, so, I am willing to do that, uh, but other people would probably enjoy it more, so you can go to them. Um, sorry, I'm willing to do that. That was a joke. But, uh, so, let me, uh, let me just pray for us uh, and ask God to do just so many things that we would want Him to do uh, here in the midst of this cultural moment that we find ourselves Father, we just acknowledge there are things that are unclear, that we need help on, we need understanding on, and there are things that you have made so clear. So we just thank you for that. We thank you for the clarity that you have given. And God, I just acknowledge even in this moment with an issue like abortion that we can talk about it culturally, we can talk about it um, in a way that's removed, but it's actually a very personal thing for many of us. Uh, There are many that have gone through with abortion. God, I even confess that as the church, many of the unhealthy realities in the church are, are reasons for those abortions. Teenagers getting pregnant and afraid of shame and judgment, even abuse within the church. So as we celebrate justice, we also confess we're part of the problem. That there are many in our midst that, again, have chosen to get Uh, an abortion and so we need your healing and we need your comfort and uh, whether even if we've chosen to do that or uh, just in general we just ask that you would grow our heart to care for those that are most vulnerable in our midst and I pray that from this decision many uh, and many to follow many other decisions that are going to follow this major decision that that babies that wouldn't have lived now will and that you would raise up your church to care for those that will be born Would you increase our capacity to foster and to adopt? Would you give us wisdom to welcome kids into our home that have special needs or mental health issues? Increase our capacity to care for single moms. And God, we ask you to bring comfort to women who are pregnant and scared. Help the church be known as a place of refuge. Help us welcome and show hospitality, not pride and judgment. And Father, I just acknowledge that this world and all of its laws will eventually pass away. But your word stands forever. So give us confidence and freedom to embrace your truth above all else, especially in a country that becomes more hostile and more divided. God, if everyone were to abandon you, would we remain faithful? Would you do this in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now to Matthew 11. something about Christians is I think sometimes we have the toughest time just admitting how jacked up we really are. Like as for those that proclaim Jesus, those that profess Jesus, those that are in the church, those that are following Jesus, um, we just have a really hard time admitting how messed up our life can really get. Uh, Even in just real tangible things that are going on or in things that are going on internally, uh, we just don't admit what is reality. It reminds me of uh, the Monty Python skit, which I'm sure you all knew I was going to reference, um, was uh, with the, it was the King Arthur who's fighting the Black Knight, and he cut his arm off, and he's like, it's just a flesh wound. It's like, no, it's no big deal at all. You don't need to watch it. That's, it's not that great. But that's what we do. We walk around with our arm chopped off, acting as if it's just a flesh wound. Um, as Christians, we just kind of grow up and feel the need to act and um, put on, like, everything is actually okay. Our marriage is struggling, our finances are just jacked up, we're overwhelmed with habitual sin, we're lonely, we're struggling to heal from past suffering or abuse. Um, and sometimes this happens even for those that profess Christ but aren't really Christians, people that are uh, just continually to choose sin and, and ignore the God uh, that they're professing. Like, they profess Christ, but they're not really Christians, and that shows up in a, in a really jacked up life. They're like, oh, no, God's number one in my life, as long as, while, while they keep uh, really ignoring the very God that they're proclaiming and professing to believe in. So it happens there, but it also happens in uh, God's people. We love God. We're living for him. But somewhere along the way, we start to believe the lie that we have to be okay, and we really can't admit the significant amount of turmoil that's going on in our heart and minds. We struggle with that, and we can also just be good at denying it. Again, like the, the Black Knight from Monty Python, it's just, oh, I'm fine, everything's fine, I'm okay, uh, and it's not that we're not admitting it. We're just not even admitting it to ourselves. We're just trying to move on and press on, and we do that so much that we crash and burn and burn out and realize, okay, something is really jacked up, just to kind of get back up and pick up. I'm okay, I'm fine. That was rough, but you know, everything's fine again. Um, And we just kind of can get on that cycle of everything is okay, don't worry about me. And this is one of the ways we stack up heavy burdens, one of the ways we grow weary and we just continue uh, to struggle in these same ways. Believing maybe this is our lot and we just need to grin it and bear it and figure it out. But God has offered another way. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So so real quick, I mean, just because we've been in Matthew, just catch us up here. Obviously, Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount that we've been in. And then in chapters 8 and 9, Jesus goes around healing people of their diseases and illness. He calms a storm. He casts out demons. So the authority that he had in teaching, he shows that he actually has over all creation. Um, And then in chapter 10, he actually sends out uh, the 12 disciples to encourage them to go proclaim the kingdom of heaven as at hand and for them to do the miracles that that he was uh, performing. And then that gets us to chapter 11, which actually starts with a question from John the Baptist trying to figure out who Jesus is uh, again, uh, but then it actually goes to a significant portion of Scripture uh, of judgment, where Jesus is announcing his judgment on particular people. So this beautiful call that we all probably know to some degree comes in the context of a significant passage of judgment. So I just want to read it for us so we can come back to it in that context. If you look in your Bibles there, starting in verse 20 in Matthew 11, I'll read that part leading up to verse 28 when it says, this is Jesus. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And so that is the context in which we come to, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so there's so much there's so much chalked tra- tra- into these few verses, but we're going to focus on just the four things that Jesus tells us to do in this passage. He tells us to come to him, tells us to take his yoke, tells us to learn from him, and tells us to find rest for our souls. And so just those first three words, just so simple, come to me. So he's just announced judgment. He just announced, hey, this is everything. Uh, You you should have repented. You should have turned to me. And then now he offers this invitation. Now, come to me. Come to me. This is Jesus. This isn't... uh, this isn't me, this isn't a church, this is uh, thousands of year old words from Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, saying to anybody that would hear, come to me. Again, it's so simple, so straightforward, but it's often so hard. Because although Jesus is the only place we can go to find soul rest, we often choose a myriad of other distractions. And humanity has always done this. We have different ones and newer ones, and, but from the beginning, from Genesis 3, humanity has looked for distractions uh, instead of coming to God. Choosing to fill our time with things that leave our souls empty. Grasping, not rested. I think a few of the common enemies, one we talked about last week, is just materialism. Because there's something about seeking more that there's always more to seek. I've said it so many times with John D. Rockefeller's famous quote of he was one of the richest men in the modern world and at that time when he was at his richest, hey, how much is enough wealth? And just a little bit more is what he replied. And so that's always, and and we, we can see how silly that is for him to say, but that could be a banner we put over most of our lives. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more and I'll finally find what I'm looking for. Finally find that rest that I need. Um, and materialism is distracting from uh, the soul rest. We run to that instead of coming to Jesus. Or, I mean, obviously, social media, Netflix, YouTube, you can just put that in a whole big old category. I would just encourage you, consider how many times, if you think about, if you're on social media or if you uh, travel YouTube, how many times do you go there out of anxiety? How many times do you feel an anxious moment and you're like, you know what, I'm just going to go scroll for a minute to appease the anxiety of your heart? I'm not saying we can't do those things in a godly way. I'm just saying most of us don't. Um, That that how many times we we look for rest in things that are just, and, and even if you think about when you leave those moments, does your soul feel rested after you've stalked, you know, 10 Facebook people, after you've watched you know, 10 YouTube videos that you're not gonna remember what they even told you about. Um, Does your soul feel rested? I think even in our culture, achievement, focus, efficiency, a lot of times that's an enemy to soul rest. We wanna even rest efficiently. Like we wanna make sure we're getting the most out of our rest, like we don't have uh, a lot of space for um, not being efficient or not achieving goals. Just not saying no. Like some of you, you would rest, but you say yes to everything, so there's no time to rest. And obviously, the reason we say yes to everything is as different as all of us are. But it's usually not to find rest in Jesus. We're usually trying to appease some kind of insufficiency that we feel, and so we don't want to disappoint people or we struggle to say no for whatever reason. But here we all are at church, so maybe even just for this moment, we can come to Jesus, consider him, and consider what it would be like for our souls to find rest in him. This is the first step, and there is nowhere else we can go. And then he tells us to take his yoke. So Jesus says, come to me and take my yoke. Uh, this should be kind of like a, a paradoxical statement to us. Like we're supposed to find rest, but a, we know what a yoke is. You put it on an oxen and it plows. That doesn't sound like doesn't sound restful at all. Um, but what Jesus is saying is that there is a way that we come to Him to rest that we can even rest in our work. That even as we work, that we can find rest in Jesus. Jesus isn't idealistic. Jesus isn't just talking about a life that can't actually exist where we just sit around on the couch all day. God has made us to work and do much. But there's a way that we can do that where we still find our rest in Him and what He's doing. This is Jesus saying soul rest isn't about laying on the couch all day. The Proverbs talk about that. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. Um, Even when we work, the reality is that when we take Jesus' yoke, it's it's proclaiming that Jesus is the one doing all the heavy lifting. That where we want to take the weight, where we want to take the burden, where we want to act like it's all on us. And I would say one of the biggest ways we do that is when we Define ourselves by the very work we do. When Jesus says, "Hey, here's my yoke; you can have my yoke," Jesus is giving us His identity with that yoke. And I think Jesus knows that many of us, whether we're a stay-at-home mom, whether we're uh, whether we work, you know, forty hours to eighty hours a week, we're often wanting to define ourselves by our work. We're often working for our, our identity as opposed to receiving our identity from Jesus. And when we're working for our identity, friends, that's a heavy burden. So it's just all about your performance. It's all about how you are able to do. Even just think about what you're known for. What are you known for in your circle of friends? What are you known for among people? And that is the area where you're going to be tempted to work for your identity. And Jesus says, no, you get, you get my identity. You get to be freed up to do those things, but that's not where your identity comes from. Jesus is saying, when you take my yoke, you get my identity, and you don't have to work for one. You don't have to be the business guy, the homeschool mom, the pastor, or the one who knows everything about fill in the blank. Like, you don't have to be that guy to earn your identity. And this is one of the hopes behind a sabbatical that we're uh, about to go on. Y- even as I, I think about it, I you know, got hired at a church when I was 20, been a pastor and on staff at four different churches over the last 11 years. And so for this short little moment, I get to consider who I am with Jesus without that. I get to consider who Jesus is with me and who I am for him without uh, that being tied into my identity. But Lord willing, I will come back to work. Uh, and then what I hope for and what we should all hope for is to grow and continue to grow in that reality. As we work, who are we with Jesus despite uh, that, that work that he has called us to? And, and, how, and admitting how often we try to get our identity from that work. Working for our identity is part of the heavy burden and weariness that we need to lay at Jesus' feet and take his light yoke and let him do the heavy lifting. This is freeing. This is, uh, I would encourage you to embrace it. I would encourage you to let go of the control of trying to manage everybody's opinions about yourself and believe what Jesus says about you. So we come to him, we take his yoke. We don't work for it. We let him do all the heavy lifting in our work as we work. And then we're called to learn from him. There's just so much here. Isn't there? <laughs> like, what could we not learn from Jesus? Like, as we look to Jesus, as we read about Jesus, it's just, it's, there's an eternity of stuff there to learn. Um, and, and Jesus is saying, we should do that. We should look to him and learn from him. And if I had to boil this down to one point, which uh, I'm going to, whether I have to or not, um, I'm going to take it from a book that I'm going through right now, and it's called uh, An Unhurried Life uh, by Alan Fading. A really, really good book. And he says when he looks upon Jesus in the Gospels and conversations he has, he says the the, the descriptor he would use of Jesus most often is unhurried. That Jesus is just an unhurried person. He's not quick. He's not running on to the next thing. He's just present. And and, uh, one of the points he makes uh, throughout the book is because unhurriedness is the very pace of love. Like, if we're to love others, if we're to care for others, often that pace that we're doing that at is an unhurried hurried pace. And that's one of the things we can look to Jesus and learn from. It should go without saying that we want most things now. We want things to be better now, even relationally. We want relationships to be quick and fixed and easy and so we grab for that. We desire that and we're frustrated when it doesn't happen. But I really think if we're going to learn from Jesus and really love each other, we're going to have to slow down, not speed up. Uh, Even if you think about what you say no to and what you say yes to. like Do you ever say no to anything because it's going to create too much of a pace? It's going to cause you to overlook things you don't need to overlook. Do you ever say yes to things that actually forcibly slow you down? Say yes to, oh, I'm going to say yes to this because it's going to cause me to actually pay attention more to the people in my life. It's gonna cause me to, to love more. And, and obviously with all of life, there's some kind of tension and balance here, but we tend to, to err on the other side of the extreme of a, a heavy, just constant speed and efficiency. Um, what do you feel more drawn to? Even if you think about the words speed, is that good or bad? And slow, is that good or bad? Don't we associate speed with good and slow with bad? That's our natural tendency. Now, as we read the scriptures, do we get that same impression? Or is that more us learning from our culture? Is that more us drinking the Kool-Aid that we're all swimming in? And again, every generation has swam in it. I don't know how. Swum? I think it's swum. Um, I'm just joking. But every generation has struggled with it. Even with, before electricity, before smartphones, all of that, we've all, we've all struggled. Um, it's not new. Nothing's new under the sun. But we struggle with it in unique ways to us and to our generation. Uh, why do we equate speed with good and slow with bad? If you think about Jesus, he waited until he was 30 to start his ministry. How many of us like to wait for the most important things in our life? Obviously, we know about Jesus condemning Martha for being busy and praising Mary for slowing down. That's right, right? Always get them mixed up. You get the point. I think about Jesus. He doesn't have a leadership pipeline that churns out perfect disciples. He lives with them. He loves, with them, loves them and eventually sends them out to do the same with others. Uh, but we get sucked into this efficient way of life, don't we? I think about the Good Samaritan. There's two people that pass by, the religious people that were busy, and too important. There was one guy that slowed down. And let his day, let his week, let his finances be interrupted to slow down and love. Uh, This is what we see in the scriptures. We're quick to listen, slow to speak. Like even being quick to listen is slowing down. You can't listen in a fast way. Uh, You can talk in a fast way, You can multiply words but we're told to be quick to listen and to be slow to speak. Even if you think about just the quick, you know, quick words are often not wise words. Like when you respond quickly, how well has that gone for us? Um, Or when we do anything quickly, I was actually talking to Wyatt this morning about how he cooks. Wyatt, both my older kids love to cook and that's great. Um, but Wyatt tends to cook when he's really hungry, and, and so he's moving pretty quickly. And that tends to lead to big messes and sometimes big mistakes um, with fire. Uh, so, um, but when we slow down, we can be more patient. When we do things quickly, obviously, there's, there are things. We, there's emergencies we should respond to quickly. There's sports we play where it's good to be quick, like quickness in and of itself isn't bad, but the, li- the pace of our life, should it be defined by speed or should it be defined by slowness and willing to take things in? Even I was uh, in that book, Alan Fading, he gave this example of even just taking in a beautiful landscape. And when you're going in a car, you can take it in to a certain extent. But when you're riding in a bike, like how much even just going slower lets you sink, lets you drink deeply of the beauty of what is around you. We should consider and learn from Jesus in this way. I think also as we think about learning from Jesus, it's not always just about what we should know. Like that's what we focus on a lot. Like we should know a lot of things. The Bible talks about a lot of things. But Jesus is called the way. And so it's not just knowing things, it's learning the way Jesus lives and living like him. It's, it's believing he is the way. And thinking, oh, there's a way to follow him, not just know and compute and have the the knowledge of what he says, which is good, but it isn't everything. Uh, We should learn from Jesus in this way. Uh, One of the practical ways we try to model this as a church is we just did this, uh, I think this last week as a staff, is we think about our calendar. And one of the things we want to do when we plan meetings is we want to have meetings where we can gather together and be shaped and formed and molded into Christ and love and care for one another, but we don't want to do t- too many meetings where there's not space, where there's not space in your, where we can just get caught up as a church and meeting as much as we can and doing as much as we can and starting as much as we can, uh, that, that we can buy into uh, the business culture even as a church and try to produce as much and as often as possible. Like we want to create space in your life, in our life, where slowness can be embraced. And so we obviously, God's called us to gather together. There are things that we should do together. There's things we want to, um, there's ministries we want to start. There's things we want to see God do in uh, significant, I mean, we would love for revival to break out. We would love for everything that God uh, would want for his people. We want, for, we want all of that. And one of those things is that we have space and that we can move slowly, that we're just not caught up in this phonetic pace that is more often about fulfilling our own insecurity than about looking and learning from Jesus. And so that's one of the things we want to do as a church, and as a church, we're taking July off. That's one of the, it's just a, a practice that we want to take a month in the summer as a church where we don't do anything programmed, Uh, where we just have, it's not just because I'm going on sabbatical, like that's something we want to practice, that we can have a month of rest as a church. Now obviously, well, this July I'm not, most of us are still working and doing plenty of other things, Um, but we want to have space. We want to create space in uh, the life of the church for you to embrace rest. And so let's learn from Jesus. Let's consider um, if there's areas of our life where we need to slow down and consider Jesus more deeply. And then finally, that we come to Jesus, we take on his yoke, we learn from him, and then we find rest for our souls. Let me say this real quick. If you're not a Christian, many look at the God of the Bible and say, he's judgmental. He's no fun. He's telling me all these things I shouldn't do. He's telling me all these things I should do. He just wants me to stand around and worship him all day for eternity. Like, this is God, what is this God of the Bible all about? But what if the God of the Bible knew you perfectly? He knew how tired you are. He knew how weary you are. And he offered you rest. He says, I have rest to offer you. Because that is what the God of the Bible does. He offers that to each and every one of us. Will you take him up on that offer? And then Christian, what are you heavy laden with? What are your burdens? Those are the, the, that's the requirement to come to Jesus. You, you, we, we have to admit we're heavy laden and we're burdened. I think two questions that can help you kind of unpack this a little bit and even know what to bring to Jesus is two simple question: What has happened in your life? What has happened in your life? Like when I say that, something comes to mind likely. And likely that thing is full Of struggle, of suffering, maybe of sin, um, maybe of heartache. What's happened in your life? Or here's another, what is happening in your life? What's going on right now? Like when you think about where you're burdened and heavy laden, if you answer those two questions, it'll likely bring something to mind that you need to come to Jesus with. And to be honest with you, I think one of the reasons that rest is so elusive to so many of us is because we don't even realize half of the burdens we truly have. Like we ask these questions, and then what do we do? We run to the answer. We don't slow down. We're not prayerful. We're not waiting. We're This is the problem. Here's the solution. Jesus encourages us to walk with him, to come to him to be with him, that he could bring comfort to our soul. Uh, we, we struggle with the acknowledgement of an un, um, unresolved issue in our life. But there's a lot of unresolved issues in all of our lives. And here's the thing. The, the goal is not to resolve them all. The goal is not to figure them out and figure them out perfectly and get to the end of it. And, and now we've plumbed the depths of our soul. We're all going to go to our grave not having plumbed the depths of our soul. Not, that's not an option for us. Our souls are more, more, than, more than we can handle. Luckily, Jesus has, has done the work for our soul. Um, but, but what has happened and what is happening in your life? Those are burdens that you need to bring to Jesus. Those are burdens that we need to teach our kids to bring to Jesus. What has happened in their life? What's happening in their life right now? How do we teach them? Like, hey, you can go to Jesus with that, you can take his yoke, you can uh, learn from him and you can find rest for your soul. Um, but we need to ask those questions and move patiently with Jesus and let him tend to us. Uh, again, just to re- reiterate it, most of us are more jacked up than we realize. And we stay stuck because these burdens that we carry, we just don't understand at all. Like we stay stuck in certain areas. Again, not that we're going to figure out these burdens perfectly, but we've made little to no effort to sit slowly with Jesus in these areas of our life. And so just a little effort, who knows, might go a really long way in bringing these parts of our life to Jesus to find rest for our soul. Would you be willing to admit it, Admit that some of the wounds and the baggage that you have in your life actually get in the way of you resting more deeply in Jesus and finding rest in what he offers you we get to look to the one who looks upon us with gentleness and humility and invites us to come and find rest for our soul and the only reason we can do this the only reason we can come to jesus that we can take his yoke that we can learn from him and find rest in him is because he is gentle and lowly in heart some of you may know this but this is actually the only part of the bible that describes God's heart. It's the, we get all kinds of pictures of who God is, but this is the only part of the Bible where Jesus says, you want to know what my heart looks like? You know, like the, the, the driving passion behind who I am and what I do? What that is? Like how, how would you answer that? Well, Jesus says, it's gentleness and lowliness. Those same words could be translated mercy or humble, or that lowly, when you see that, when we see that in the New Testament, it's associated often with the actual lowly people in society. What Jesus is saying is he's the most approachable person you'll ever meet. That Jesus looks upon people that would make us cringe, and he touches them, and he reaches out to them, and he tends to them, and he cares for them. For those of us that feel like we're on the outside, that we don't fit in, that we don't look right, we don't act right, we don't... Jesus looks to you and welcomes you. and says, I have a a gentle and lowly disposition towards you. This is the heart of our Jesus. And obviously, we learn from him in this way. And we see this modeled in his life and in his death and his resurrection for the very people that are rebelling against him. For while we were at our worst, Jesus gave everything he had that we could find our hope in him. This is why we can do any of this, because God has this heart towards us. But it can also only happen for those who come and admit they are in need because of their heavy burdens. If you look back, if you have your Bible open in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. The the, the wise and understanding are those that don't need God because they have it figured out. The wise and understanding don't come with heavy burdens because they have their burdens figured out. They know what they need to do. But Jesus is saying, if you come to me as a wise and understanding, then I do not look upon you with this gentle, lowly disposition. He just talked about that, how there's real judgment for really people that don't come to him and don't need him. But all we have to do is confess our need. All we have to do is acknowledge how needy we are as people. And he looks upon us. This is how he looks upon his people. And he will never not look upon his people in this way. That his disposition to you as his, as as saved, as a Christian, as someone who loves and is following Jesus, is one of gentleness and lowliness. But are you willing to admit how needy you are? And then are we willing to admit this again and again and again and not uh, take back up the yoke of this culture that says we need to earn and fight and figure out, but we can take Jesus' yoke that says, you know what? Jesus has done all of that. I get to do his work that he's called me to in freedom, in courage, and hope. I can risk everything, because he has everything. He owns the world, that we can be courageous uh, as we follow him. Again, this is Jesus' heart towards his people. Are you the wise and understanding and no need of God, or are you a little child in great need? Honest, obviously, where, where true wisdom and understanding is found. And so I want us to take a moment to do this as we close. To whatever burdens have been um, on our hearts, and our lives, whether past or present, I want us to come to Jesus with them. And so let's take a moment to pray together. You can bow your head and close your eyes however you want to pray. think about the burdens and struggles in my life that I need to continually lay before Jesus maybe you're doing the same and you know I, I think sometimes it's good to align like Jesus hasn't just saved us our soul he's, we are embodied souls um, he's not just curious and, and cares about us spiritually but also physically and sometimes it's good to align our physical body with where our hearts are at And so I'm going to give you just a simple opportunity to do that. Uh, You don't have to feel obligated to do this. You don't have to feel like you need to do this. But with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I would just encourage you, if you feel like you have a burden, you need to lay before Jesus, that you just raise your hand. Again, no obligation. It's just a chance to respond physically and align our physical bodies with what God is doing in our hearts. You can just raise it and put it down. And then if you still have a burden on your heart and you want to do that, you want to just say Jesus, I have a burden I need to lay before you. Maybe just one more time for anybody that just has still a burden on their heart and they want to raise their hand and say, Jesus, I want to lay this before you. Whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, I would encourage you to prayerfully come to Jesus right now. This isn't a summer camp moment. This isn't us trying to conjure anything up. Again, even with raising your hand, it's just you physically saying what your soul is saying. So take a moment and lay your burdens at Jesus' feet. Jesus, as we continue to respond to You, would You help us confess our false wisdom and understanding and help us um, admit our neediness, admit the, the reality that we are little children looking to You in great need. We don't have it figured out. That we get to come to you and know that you look upon us as one who cares. Look upon us humbly, gently. You want us to come to you as needy children. Forgive us for how often we want to come to you high and lifted up and knowing everything we need to know. Jesus, we don't. We know so little. So Holy Spirit, would you would you help us? Would you grow us? Even as we sing in this moment, would you help us respond with our whole hearts? Would you do this work in us? Would you shape us and change us and form us? And would we be willing to be patient and with you for the long haul as you work in us for your good pleasure, that you will complete what you started. So help us respond. Even now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.